Ordinary Saints podcast. I'm Richard and I'm here with Sarah. Hello. And today we thought we would talk about Lent. Seems like an appropriate time to do that because well, it's Lent. It all. is Lent, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I've got the giggles already. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it is Lent and Lent is a season in the church calendar for those of you who don't follow, you know, liturgical patterns. And it marks 40 days plus a few Sundays leading up to the celebration of Easter. Yeah. So the most important question comes first. Sarah, what have you given up for Lent? Well, I am going to start by saying what I have not given up for Lent because this is the first year in six years that I have not done what I always do in Lent, which is take my shoes off for a full 40 days plus the Sundays. And it does feel weird. The reason I have not given up my shoes and socks is because in this COVID era, I figured that when it starts getting really wet and rainy, I probably shouldn't have wet feet the majority of the time. Yeah, so just because, you know, I want to give my immune system enough of a boost to, you know, deal with COVID if it comes along. So yeah, that was kind of out of the picture this year, which is weird. It's my usual rhythm. Yeah, I have actually taken up something. Now, I do practice the examine, or the examine, which is the fancier way to say it, but I am a bit sporadic with it, so I decided I'm going to do it every night, consistently, through Lent. Now, that might not sound like much, but for me, it's something, because I am finding it quite difficult at the moment with all the stuff going on in the world. And I'm finding that my thoughts are quite erratic. They're all over the place. And I need something to ground me at the end of the day more than just night prayer. You know, I need Mm. to be able to look back at the day and examine where it is that God has, where, where I have felt God at work, where I have felt God's presence. Because for me, that's giving me hope in what feels like some really bleak days yeah. at this time. Now, that's great. And interestingly, I'm doing something a little bit similar. And that the one thing I'm working on at the moment, I'm not doing a great job at it, but instead of <laughs> like, I'd say examine, I, I have gone through phases of doing examine at the end of the day. I think it's a really nice pattern. But my thing at the moment is actually when I wake up is just to have a moment where I am just grateful for waking up. And that's my little thing. And it's also because, you know, I'm middle-aged. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there might be fewer days waking up left than I've had already. Oh, bless. So, <laughs> but, uh, but it's really nice. It helps shift my mindset quite a lot. And to go, yeah, I'm here. And each day is a blessing. And just to start the day that way is actually really nice. It's just a good thing. It helps set me up for a better day. And it is just that little thing. It's a little tiny arrow prayer where it's like, God, I'm here and I'm I'm glad to be here. That's kind of beautiful. Not only just the gratefulness for being alive and for waking up in the morning, but also the fact that it is quite a grounding way to start the day, that you're actually, you've got to be present. You've got to be present to God and yeah. yourself in that yeah, moment. Yeah. And I actually had an experience um, this morning where I was having, you know, these this flurry of thought activity, not just thinking about Ukraine and war in general and COVID and all the heavy things going on, mm. but also just how much I've got on my plate at the moment, personally and professionally or whatever. And I was having a shower because, you know, all the epiphanies come in the shower, right? 
And I realized I wasn't present. And of course that realization was a moment of me being present. Mm. But I remember saying out loud, I am not being present. Mm. And it was really, really odd. And so I prayed, I prayed and I was like, God help me to be here and now. And that is not a regular rhythm for my morning shower. So I think now that you've told me about your morning thing, I might just make this a a shower presence moment for me. (laughs) Just say, God, I am here and now. Yeah, yeah. Meet me here and now. Part of my mental health sort of self-care is to to go out and walk or exercise every day. Um, I, I have been running, but I've injured myself. So I'm back to walking. But interestingly, again, just in this last week, I've stopped listening to podcasts on my walk. Whoa. Yeah, because I had, for, for the similar reasons that you were just talking about, it's something that I've had to learn again because I know in the past that I used to make that choice and go, no, I'm not going to listen to music. I'm not going to listen to podcasts. And I don't want to discourage anyone who might be listening to this. If you're having exercise and you're listening to us right now, you, <laughs> should, get okay. to the, you should get to the end of this podcast before <laughs> you make a change. Um, but I know for myself, I had to make that change. And, and, and it's interesting because, again, you're right, it's about being present. And suddenly, when I'm not listening to something, I'm not in that introverted world where I'm just caught up in my head. Well, actually, I, I still am in my head quite a lot, but the direction of energy is different. I mm. guess I'm more connected to the world, and that helps me kind of work through whatever's going through in my brain better, mm. um, yeah. or whatever's on my heart, you know. that Those things come to the surface more easily if I'm not listening to something, if I'm not kind of putting myself back to sleep. So mm. uh, I'm glad we've talked about this because that's going to be my thing now. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to stick with for the rest of Lent is Good. that opportunity to go, no, am I, am I connecting with myself, the universe, creation, whatever else I need to be doing by actually having that time uh, apart to do totally. that differently. Yeah. And see, we're learning. We're learning as we go, right? You listening on the podcast, us recording the podcast, we're all learning and growing together. And Richard has just come up with a new Lenten thing. So that's great. It's good. It's definitely better than some of my other usual things like giving up chocolate. have failed at that already. Mm. Giving up soft drinks. Have, uh, I'm making progress on that one this Lent, but I'm not really doing very well. I'll be <laughs> honest. So these other things are good alternatives. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they're more achievable. Yeah. The reason that I went bare feet, barefoot, bare feet, bare feet, barefooted, <laughs> barefooted. Uh, for the previous years that I have was largely about not appearing a certain way because one of the problems that I found in wearing bare feet was that in wearing bare feet see I'm really tripping myself up over this uh no pun intended another bad (laughs) foot wow you're on fire I really am um was yeah I don't like to do something that is overly external in the sense that hey look at me look at what I'm giving up for Lent I'm so holy and spiritual But there's no other way of achieving what I found really helpful without wearing shoes. And the reason why is because when I don't wear shoes, I'm simply more present. And this is another theme, you know, of what we've talked about. I'm more present to the textures below my feet, to what I'm walking on, to the fact that I can't run across gravel. I actually have to go slow. Um, And it helps me to be aware of the environment I'm in, of the world around me. Helps me to be more in touch as well with the season, right? Like, oh, it's cold, it's hot, you know? And so generally speaking, it would allow me to be more present. And also it would mean that I would physically have to slow down, Mm. which is actually quite hard to do in our world. So I found that wearing bare feet was really great. And it also kept 
me reminded about God. Now that sounds obscure, but I would develop these weird little habits where every time I stepped on a stone, I would pray a certain thing. Yeah. (laughs) Or every time I was on grass, I would pray a particular type of prayer. And as you say, arrow prayers, right? Mm. But they were immediate physical prompts throughout the day. And I found that that really, really helps to ground me. So I am struggling this Lent to not have that. Um, but yeah, I still wear bare feet when I can, but it's not, you know, the discipline of no shoes. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you talked about that though, because you've taken us into that direction of, because often I find when you talk about Lent and it, it can generalize to those really simple, almost trivial things. Oh, well, I'm giving up. I, I'm giving up chocolate, I'm giving up this, I'm I'm taking up more time at the gym, and it can turn into this weird sort of self-improvement cultish behaviour, <laughs> really, uh, yeah. where it's all about, oh, making myself a better person for Lent. And look, with my personality, I buy into that sort of stuff because <laughs> I'm always trying to be better. That's mm. my thing. Uh, always trying to, how can I improve myself today, right? So I, it can start turning into that thing. Which often translates to how can I impress people more? Not saying just for you, but it can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and it also can just become just a bit of a, well, you know, what's the end game with that stuff? Mm. Really? Will I have ever reached these sorts of goals and stuff? And I, and for me, that pattern of behavior becomes a really big distraction from actually what Lent is really about. Mm. And for me, the thing that I've got to keep coming back to is uh, one of the big words in Lent is the word repent. But the word repent is really about, it's not actually about saying, oh, I'm sorry for something. And people often interpret it that way as being sort of remorseful and self-flagellating. And, and this is sort of the, the bad press that Lent gets, right? Mm. But, but to repent is actually about shifting away from things that are not good for you and back towards things that are good for you. So it is about self-improvement in a sense. Yeah. But it's about reprioritizing. Am I right in thinking that the translation for repent is more to come back alongside? Um, what I've been told is it's to turn. Ah. So it's literally to like to redirecting your attention. So, we, you know, we've just talked about all those things that we realize, oh, we were quite disconnected from life, that we're quite distracted. Mm. Um, sometimes people talk about being asleep, you know, and sort of drowsily living their lives being you know not kind of alert and awake to things and present and so the sort of ancient word repentance is is about kind of going no it's about getting the focus right again it's Mm. about not necessarily about apologizing but recognizing those places where actually that's kind of a little death i'm Mm. living as opposed to living in a really alive way that's kind of great and for me it does resonate again with that same Uh, set of words that that I used before to come back alongside because for me it's to come back alongside Christ that's you know that's how I feel when I think of repentance is and it's not that kind of big guilt trip I've been so awful but it's about I want to come back I want to come back to you I want to come back to God I want to realign with that that makes me feel fully alive and most alive and it's not just because and it's not just about me right as well Mm. it's not just for my own gratification of you know because let's be honest like coming back alongside Christ is not the recipe for a happy you know um 
no you know what's the word a struggle-free life you know i think following christ has actually been one of the hardest and most challenging things um to do with my life to be honest but it's where i feel most fully alive and i think that has a lot to do with presence presence to myself presence to god and presence to those people around me Um, and i i want to live that way because the person of christ the person of jesus in the scriptures is someone who is present right Mm. to the people around him and i draw heaps of inspiration from that and i want to be like that for others you know if i can be um but it's so yeah it's not just about me i think coming back alongside and using those words because i like them um is about being fueled in order to be christ for others as well i think yeah if i can put that in slightly different language because i think about it slightly differently like one of the metaphors for God that I really love is the ground of our being. Mm. And I love that because it's this idea of this sort of love that undergirds creation. And for me, Lent is about getting more in touch with that. Mm. But like you say, that's a transformational experience mm. because when I live more deeply into that, that the ground of our being, when I'm more connected to that love which undergirds everything, there are moments where I go, oh, well, I do look at myself and I reflect on the ways I'm, Uh, engaging with the world and is it as loving as it could be Mm. am I really expressing that basic principle in all aspects of my life and of course in those places where I'm not doing that well that's where growth needs to happen yeah yeah so I get that thing about challenging like that this process is one of going yeah there are places where I need to grow again Mm. or I might know I may not have grown in those places before in which case it's more urgent (laughs) yeah there's work I need to do and it's again it's not about self-flagellation or beating out but going that's right I'm a work in progress Mm. I haven't got everything together yet in fact often I'm gloriously messy in my life but Part of the joy of that is going, and the story of my life isn't finished yet. There's still time to change how some of these things happen, how I engage with the world, how I want my story to play out, how I'm going to reach out and connect to other people. Mm. And so Lent is a time where I can go, yes, you know, there are, there are still ways for me to grow and change and to become more fully that which God intends me to be. That's beautiful. Lent, in a way, for me, one of the images that I've taken up, and you can critique this, you're welcome to critique this, but I'm a very visual person, right? And I remember one Lent rolling up a carpet, okay? And it was like a, you know, one of those tapestry type carpets where it's really neat on the top and it's really messy underneath. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And both sides are beautiful, you could argue, I would argue. But I was rolling up this carpet and I was like, this is what Lent is for me. It's flipping up the rug. Oh, right, yeah. where the top half, you know, the, the top part side looks really, really ordered and beautiful. And that's the part that people see a lot of the time. And that's, I guess, the part that I want to see more as well. Mm, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I want my life to be like this. I want to be like this. And that is part of who I am, right? There's, there's beauty and there is order, you know, at times. Um, but Lent for me is flipping that rug over and having a tussle in all of the stray bits that are hanging off everywhere. And I wouldn't say that in a way that like, oh, well, I'm not beautiful, I'm messy. Because I think there's beauty in the mess. But I think Mm. there's something about flipping the rug over and looking at your life from all angles and all sides and examining it, you know? And it's, Mm. I know the word examine, not in the examine way, can be a bit (laughs) scary. Um, But I think if we approach it with, 
that mess can be beautiful and mess is actually a space for us to grow and to thrive from, then I think it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, so in the examen that I see, I'm using it fancy now, like the way you use it. Yeah. Um, I actually drew up, well, printed a, a lino cut with, with a bit of an image, contemplative image, and then some questions that I put up for people who might want to use the examen for the first time or just want a simplified version of it. And two of the questions that are in there are, when did I recognize God's presence today? Or where was God present? And where could I have been more present to God and more present to others? Mm. And I think for me, those questions sort of are like flipping the rug over, right? And yeah, having a look, yeah. having a tussle and seeing, you know, where, where? Because, and it's not about self-blame and self-flagellation, like you said. You know, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, I should have done it then or I should have been more yeah, present then. Yeah. It's just observing, you know, it's just having a look and noticing that makes all the difference. Yeah, because it's by noticing those moments where we go, well, next time that situation comes along, because it may come along again, maybe I've got some choices there that I didn't realize I had before. Mm. Like, I can do this in a different way, and it's only by paying attention to those things that we start changing. Exactly. Paying attention, I think, is a really big, is a big theme in Lent. All right, so let's just take a minute to go back to the beginning of Lent because there's Ash Wednesday, right? And that's how everything kicks off. So, and I've seen Richard, not just in churches, you know, the ash on the forehead thing. And what's the line that we say? It's to, to, to dust you came and to dust you will return. Um, repent and repent believe, and believe the, gospel. the gospel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's those two sayings. Um, but you also occasionally see... Um, ashes to go right on the streets where priests might go out into you know queen street or a public space you know in whatever city you're in and will offer ashes to go so let's start from there and talk about where that kind of came from yeah so the ashes thing as i understand it is largely to do with it being kind of an outward sign of of entering into this time of preparation the season of lent the 40 days we mentioned the 40 days of working towards easter with a degree of intentionality uh, and and that comes from a slightly earlier tradition where uh, Easter was traditionally the time of baptism so baptism one of the primary sacraments in the church it's how people are essentially welcomed into the body of Christ uh, that's that's the traditional view around what baptism is and what what it's doing and Baptisms used to happen at Easter because Easter's the day of resurrection. It's a great day for, to welcome new people into the community. And of course, then there was a process where people would prepare for this through, um, you know, sometimes it would include fasting and teaching and, and learning basic tenets of the faith and so on. So a real intentional process that would lead to this moment of, of welcome and embrace from the church at Easter. And so eventually it became sort of standardised as 40 days beginning with Ash Wednesday. And it became even broader for not just for people preparing for baptism, but for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, because that thing of, uh, like we've been talking about, right, sometimes we need to learn things over and over again. So even on our Christian journey, sometimes it's good to go back and go, oh, there's some basic stuff here that I need to go over again. Oh, heck I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm weird. Another year's gone by and somehow I'm still not perfect. What's going on? Imagine Uh, that. (laughs) (laughs) I find it very hard to admit that just for the record. But I do feel, though, (laughs) that if you ever get to a point in your faith where you feel like you've worked it out, you probably haven't. (laughs) 
I think, yeah, I think there's <laughs> pretty, pretty strong indication something's gone wrong for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's that sort of process. And so, as I say, it's become more formalized in various ways. But with that is also this idea of repentance of for those not preparing for baptism, of how do we enter into Lent more fully? And so Ash Wednesday is this thing of, is this outward sign of I'm, I'm getting into this space, the space of self-reflection, the space of turning uh, back to God, of getting alongside God again. Mm. And, you know, traditionally people would often, you know, wear sackcloth and put ashes on their head. This was a really ancient tradition and it's been sort of reinterpreted to fit around the season of looking forward to Easter and the major celebration of the Christian faith. Yeah, and I think ashes are a really great way of getting in touch with your limits, right? With your mortality, I think, as well. For me, when I hear the words, you know, to dust you came and to dust you will return or whatever variation people use, it's comforting for me. And I know that sounds odd, but it's comforting (laughs) because I know that I'm not... God, yeah, <laughs> for one, yeah. right? So I don't have the whole, you know, mission, quote unquote, of the church on my shoulders or anything like that, that I am one mortal soul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and from dust I came and to dust I will return. And just like all the rest of us, right? And it, it brings me back to the sense of it being a body of Christ, something that is not just about me, something that continues through the scope of time. Um, and I am simply a part of that. I am not it, right? And for me, that's that's really comforting because, and it helps me with my self-examination, right? It's extremely humbling. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think one of the temptations in ministry, especially, is, you know, trying to do it all, like mm. trying to be it all. Mm. And, um, you know, it can be a tempting thing for any of us. And so, and not just in ministry, right? Like I want to be all of the mum I can be, you know, the best mum there is. And I can't be. I can just offer what I have. And I have to acknowledge too that, speaking of the children analogy, it takes a village. I'm not the only person Mm. that is going to shape, mould and form my children into the kind of people that they'll become, right? So when I I have the ashes smudged on, I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) What a relief. Um, And so, yeah, that's something that's quite meaningful for me. Yeah, so I get what you say around being humbled because that's that's the word I'd use comforted isn't quite the right word for me there's something more I'm more humbled by it like it's definitely a case of oh that's right it's not all about me is it is it possible to be too comfortable with your mortality (laughs) that's maybe a follow-up question for another time I'm not I'm not comfortable with mine so maybe you're maybe you're more comfortable than I am another part of the tradition which I find really interesting because on Ash Wednesday there are some traditional prayers uh, that lots of churches will have used and it talks about you know that Pat and I just sort of described of the season of observance leading towards baptism was sort of the beginning and then it expanded to include um, more people as a, as a season of repentance and a, and a re-entering into their their spiritual journey with some new kind of renewed energy and so on uh, which is a, a very positive thing but there's this also this part of the tradition which has been a little bit forgotten whereby people and, and there's a line in those sort of traditional prayers around people who have been separated from the community through sin that's the really trad words would be brought back into the community and what that's alluding to is this tradition whereby people who may have committed a crime or done something that was wrong in the eyes of their community would enter into a more formal process whereby they would 
essentially be kind of exiled from the community a little bit. These are people who wanted to attend church. They wanted to attend worship, but basically they'd say, you you kind of need some time out. And the way these people would show that they, are, they were wanting to re-engage and be, become part of the community again and that they uh, were making amends for whatever it was that they had done wrong is often they would come and stand on the church steps or just in the entranceway of the church during services and be seen to be there of, of kind of waiting to, to come back in. This was part of that process. And there would be other things that would happen around it as well. But then come Easter... For these people, it wouldn't be baptism that was waiting for them, but it would be some formal prayers and acknowledgement of this person has has turned back to God. They've shown remorse. They, they are coming back into our community, and actually they can come and participate in communion and the life of worship in this place again. And mm-hmm. people would be welcomed back in a really formal way. And I'm sad that that tradition's gone because I think what a beautiful thing to be able to say for people who, like I think of our own context here in Aotearoa where we have a very high incarceration rate and where people coming out of prison can find it very hard to re-engage with community. They carry a stigma, but for people in churches to say, no, there is still a pathway back for you. Mm. Um, we believe in the work that you've done, uh, that we, we believe in your ability to reform, to change, to learn, to make amends and to continue to be part of the body of Christ. What a nice idea. It would be, and I'd, I, as I say, I don't know how we'd do it, but it's, it's something where I, I do think about it. I, and I think, how could we do that? How could we do that in a way where people would want to do it and be welcomed into that experience? And, and we did it in that sort of proactive way, which says, yes, you know, we, we realize when somebody falls away from our community for whatever reason that actually we all suffer. Mm. And the way we bring healing is about creating pathways where people can come back again. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know before you were talking about, the, an image of perhaps people coming out of prison and being welcomed, right, with banners of, you know, welcome back yeah, and things like that. Yeah. And that's quite a touching image. In that particular context of talking around prison reform, I was really challenged by that idea. Um, and as I say, I, I don't think this is a catch-all by any stretch. I think there are, there are very, very deep questions to be asked around why we even have prisons and what they're trying to achieve. <laughs> uh, so I think that's important to acknowledge. But... I definitely like that idea, though, of, you know, there, there is that thing where people do become separated from communities. And as the body of Christ, we've got to, there is a work to do, right, in terms of saying, no, 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 you know, there is, there is healing, there is life beyond whatever it is that's happened. And we're going to find ways to make that happen. Mm. And it might be a really complex journey, you know, but it's still, yeah, this, this view and aspiration for one that is to reconcile, to be reconciled to God, to one another. Um, yeah, so with with Lent, right, another question I've got. Maybe this is the part where I throw you under the bus? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Why don't we go straight to Easter? Like, what is with these these 40 days of Lent? I mean, we, we've, we've mentioned the 40 days, and I mm. think that's a biblical thing as well. You know, there's, there's themes in, in Scripture around Jesus going into the wilderness being, you know, straight after his baptism, which is kind of funny because it's sort of almost reversed, right, to what it became later in terms yeah. of Lent predating the baptisms at Easter. But really, Jesus went out to the wilderness to be tempted, as we read it, Yeah, after, after his baptism. Yes. <laughs> yep. So there is, you know, sort of flip the flip the switch there. I don't know. That kind of fits with my own experience, though. Like, it's, I mean, I heck, I was like four weeks old when I was baptized, but I'd say just about all of the temptation I faced it has happened 
after, after I was baptism. baptized. Oh, absolutely. And that's actually quite a good point, right? Is <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, baptism isn't some magic point we no. get to where we stop being challenged and we, you know, and that's why we do this year after year after year. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful rhythm. Um, but we've also got a more ancient story, right? Of the 40 days. So Richard, tell us a bit more about that and why we don't go straight to Easter. Like, why do we take this quite long period that we call Lent? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of different answers to that, really. I mean, in some church traditions, Sunday becomes the primary feast, right? And and, and there's language in the all the kind of the, the clever people who really study and understand liturgy really well. We'll talk about Sunday as every Sunday as being like a mini Easter, that, you know, every Sunday is kind of a celebration of the resurrection. And I really like that idea. Mm. And some churches really lock into that, right? Of this idea of Sunday, every Sunday, why we don't necessarily need a special celebration. But for me, I think why Easter works this way, and it's because it's partly what I've always known, is the season of Lent. And let's face it, in this part of the world, it's all really strange, right? Because in the Northern Hemisphere where this was created, you're moving into spring, and yet for me, let's face it, Lent is autumnal. Like, it's always getting colder. And by the time we get to Good Friday, well, Holy Week and Good Friday, often the weather's really bad and it's cold. Mm. And it's often, yeah, right when we're taking that big turn into winter. So it's a little bit strange in that, in that respect. But it is this thing of having seasons and recognising that actually uh, if, if all we do as a community is gather and celebrate... We're excluding a lot of our other experiences of life. And life is diverse, and life isn't just made up of moments of joy. Mm. Hopefully, you will have many moments of joy. I could use more moments of joy myself. <laughs> I definitely, joy is a great thing, and, mm. and we should all have a lot of it. But if we only celebrate joy to the exclusion of other things, the experience of solitude, loneliness, death, illness, I mean, there are so many things which can make life hard and actually sometimes we need to give space over to those things too mm-hmm. uh, and to recognize those in our rhythm as a community that actually sometimes we need to attend to the parts of life that aren't as easy the parts that are hard because that's actually part of life too so for me a very big part of Lent is about creating space for those sorts of emotions it might be an experience of grief that you're working through in Lent but actually allowing space for the darkness in our lives means that actually the resurrection becomes a much more powerful statement Mm. it's like the beauty of the dawn you know after the night it's it's something that breaks in a way that feels more glorious than if it was always there and of course there's some dodgy theology that can be wrapped around that when people have awful things happen to them and you hear people say oh well, it happens for a reason you know oh, or, or yeah. things like that you we know can so, trivialize misery by right, just saying well right. look for the good in that there'll exactly. be something yeah, yeah. yeah. so I don't want to go there and that's not what I'm trying to say but when we just back it up and look at the at the reality that there is both darkness and light in each of us, right? And there is both darkness and light in our experiences of life. It makes sense to me, right? Mm. That we would next to a season of such light and such celebration have a season which is a little bit more like the dark night of the soul, right? Yeah. No, it makes heaps of sense to me. And as I say, I... I can remember one of the things I really carry particularly into Holy Week is I had a teacher who talked about, you know, the different days of Easter and what they sort of represent theologically and that, you know, you have Good Friday where it's 
you know, we really hone in on kind of the misery of torture and death. Mm. And this teacher sort of challenged me to go, you know, we need to make space for that because that happens in our world. Heck, you brought it up at the top of the podcast. That's happening. If, if you are in the Ukraine right mm. now, that's a Good Friday moment for many people. Mm. There is there is misery, there is hurt, there is suffering, there is death, there is real darkness mm. in the world. And sometimes we need to create space for that to say, let's let's acknowledge that that's happening. That's yeah. happening in our world. And part of our job as Christians is to hold that space mm. and to say, yes, we will allow space for that. And often well-intentioned Christians can get into that thing of, Let's let's get on to the resurrection. We're the people of new life, yeah. of new opportunity. Race to but the actually, resurrection. Yeah, yeah, but actually, no, Good Friday has a particular space and we need to hold that space open. Mm. And I know I was really challenged about that, particularly when I was the person responsible for Good Friday services of going, that's right, actually today is not the day of resurrection and I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about the darkness mm. and we're going to stay in that space because Easter will come. Easter will come, but actually... It might not come for a few days. And yeah. for some people, it might not come for years. Mm. But the other thing this teacher said was really great is actually Saturday, the Saturday after Good Friday, that's a really important day too. Totally. A I'm, so that day. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> and that there's this space where it's, it's, well, it's kind of the PTSD day, right? It's the, it's the day after the miseries happen where there's space before the resurrection has happened as well. And that's got a theology of its own. It's about waiting. It's about not knowing. It's about grief. Mm. You know, all of that space is held in, yeah. in Holy Saturday. And and it's only when Easter kind of kicks in that suddenly we have this moment of celebration. But mm. there's real drama in this story. Absolutely. And I think part the Holy Week is so dramatic, isn't it? In the sense that we work through you know, the, the scriptural narrative, right, of Jesus going to the cross. Mm. And I think that's a really important part of Holy Week. You know, yeah. well, it's the, it's the thing for me in Holy Week mm. is that for me, it doesn't feel like Easter unless I have done all those services and I've yeah. been there and walked that journey. For example, uh, the watch mm. is really, really big. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously... So hang on, do you want to just say for people who don't know what you mean, what that is? Okay, so the watch comes from the idea of, you know, when Jesus was be was about to be arrested in yep. the garden and he said to his disciples, don't go to sleep, right? Wait for me. I'm going to go pray. Yeah. And he prays and, you know, it says that his tears turn to blood, right? Which we can assume was just because of immense stress. I mean, Jesus knew what was about to happen. But his disciples did fall asleep. Yeah, so of course, if, you know, they woke up eventually. But this idea of the watch is that we join into or we take the place of the disciples in watching. Hmm. Watching before Jesus is taken away. Uh, and I think, for me, that's really powerful. Anyway, so we'll probably come back to the great three days and we'll come back to Holy Week a bit more. But I think what I was getting at is, is the drama of yeah. Holy Week yeah. is such a powerful thing. And it does begin in Lent. We have these concrete symbols. You know, we begin with ash and then we often will give up something or take something up. And that follows us through these days. And we have our Sundays in Lent. You know, we follow our lectionary and we revisit the story and the themes again. And then we move into this even more dramatic week, right, in the, yeah. in the lead up to Easter. I think there's one more thing I do want to say before you wrap up, Richard, because he's giving me the wrap it up look. <laughs> um, but what I do want to say, though, is... 
earlier when you talked about making space, right, for for the bad things in life, for the mm. experiences that aren't positive, the way that we treat those in our liturgy and in our church year affect how we deal with people as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we are always rushing to the resurrection, for example, then we can become quite bad pastorally with people who are dealing with darkness, people Mm -hmm. who are dealing with death and grief and remorse, sorrow, all of these things, is that we need to get more comfortable with those spaces because if we're human, we're going to find ourselves there and we're going to find ourselves... Uh, helping out and talking to people who are in those spaces as well. So I think it's interesting that the tie between our liturgy and our pastoral care, even in the way that we approach one another. I know that a lot of theologians have also spoken about Holy Saturday and how it seems that as a church, we're a little bit uncomfortable with it in the sense that Mm. we have Good Friday and all of that stuff. And then we have this weird day in between Good Friday and the resurrection, you know, on, on, on Easter Sunday. And we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. We certainly haven't wrapped any rituals around it because we don't have anything going on really um, on that day. And so that's another really interesting thing um, that I think is, is worth looking at is what does it look like to be in a space of darkness, in the space of the unknown Uh, and to not really know what to do with that. Because I think when we journey with people in that space as well, we can sometimes not know what to say or what to do. Um, So again, further reflection for the fact that maybe we've still got some work to do, right? On on the underside of our rug, that maybe, (laughs) maybe we need to observe the fact that it is a time for us to get okay with the fact that there are many people suffering and we need to give that space. So last question. When you're reading a novel, are you one of those people who goes to like the last few pages and reads them before you've read the rest no. of the novel? I do have members of my family who do this oh. quite routinely. And like, I don't understand that at all myself. I'm just like, what? And like, but I need to know everything's going to be okay. And like, I get that because I'll be honest, sometimes, sometimes if I'm watching a movie and I'm going, oh, this looks a bit intense, I might just have a little look at Wikipedia and go, oh, this person's going to be... So I do do it every (laughs) once in a while, so I will admit to that. You're rushing rushing to the resurrection. Yeah, but it is that thing, right? That that often we're not prepared to to go right through the drama in Mm. order to get to... Uh, to get to the the final pages where we go, oh, actually, it's okay. Mm. Um, there's resolution. There's there's something good here, and it might not even be what we expect, but it's okay, right? Mm, mm. Um, so I think for me, that's always the big challenge of Lent, right? Yeah. Is actually you've got to do it all. Mm. Um, you start at the beginning, work through Sunday by Sunday, and and Holy Week. If you haven't ever really entered into Holy Week. Find some services, find some places that are really offering a full slew because actually from, from Palm Sunday right through Holy Week, there is a pattern, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, there, there is a pattern of worship there which is dramatic, which is powerful and if you really enter into it, uh, is transformative too mm. and not necessarily in the ways you expect because sometimes we'll go, actually this year I'm just I'm more about Good Friday than I am about Easter Day and mm. that's... That's okay too, but actually there's a whole slew of stuff there which can can be really amazing. So if you haven't done it before, I'd, I'd definitely suggest uh, making some plans for Holy Week. Absolutely. Hey, well, it's been really cool talking uh, to you, Richard, about this, and I'm sure 
that we'll have a lot more to say for our next podcast as we get closer to Holy Week as well. Uh, but I hope this has been fun for you to listen to. Um, drop us an email if you have any particular Lent or Holy Week experiences that you'd like us to mention and, and maybe chat about. That'd be awesome. But until next time, see ya. See ya.